Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Just go ahead and sit down, be seated. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and um, we talk about we're talking about what the kingdom is, and that's somewhat presumptuous, right? Because Jesus said the kingdom is like a lot. So the kingdom is like a man who looks for, is in a field and dumps into a treasure and sells everything he has to buy that field to attain that treasure. He says the kingdom is like a merchant who goes looking for the finest of pearls and he finds it and he goes and he sells everything that he has to buy that pearl. He says the kingdom of God is like a father whose son cashes out at his inheritance and he goes and he spends it all uh, and he comes back and just begging to be a servant and the father runs out to meet him with open arms and open, uh, open heart, and he grabs him and he embraces him and he welcomes him back. So he's always constantly saying, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. And I'm saying, the kingdom is. So I don't know more than Jesus. But I think as we piece it together, as we talk about what the kingdom is, there's a lot of misunderstanding around the kingdom. The kingdom is a popular word and a popular phrase that people throw out. We want to be kingdom people. We want to invest in the kingdom. We want to do kingdom work. And uh, there's lots of different definition around that. And so I think as we look at Scripture, especially the New Testament, especially the Gospels and what Jesus says, and even uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and bring all this forward, we begin to see a clearer and clearer picture of what this kingdom is. And so that's what we're talking about, and we're going to take as long as we need to on it, because it's foundational for everything. It's foundational for why we live. I believe it's the most important concept, because as I said last week, the kingdom is the message of Jesus. Like, that's what he talked about. That's what he came proclaiming. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God. He came proclaiming the gospel, the evangelion, the good news, and it had a modifier of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist prepares the way of Jesus. He says, Behold, the time has come. It's at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And he points to Jesus. Jesus says, The time is fulfilled. And he proclaims the kingdom of God. And we talked about last week that all the message of the disciples, Jesus sends out the disciples and they are to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And he tells them, and he commissions this. And then when he rises from the dead, the first part of Acts, in Acts 1, for 40 days, what is he talking about? After he rises from the dead, he's talking for 40 days about the kingdom of God to the disciples. He's pouring into them. He's giving them these last most important days of information and of instruction before he sends them out. It says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. And what he is sending them out to proclaim is the good news of the kingdom of God. You go through all of Acts. It's Peter's message. It's Philip's message. And you get to the end of Acts. It begins with 40 days of Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God and it ends with Paul in a Roman prison talking to everyone he knows who comes to him about what? It says in there, the last verses of Acts, the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. So, not to repeat my sermon from last week, but I want to make sure we get that. The message of Jesus, the message of the disciples, the message of the early church was the kingdom of God. Why is it the message of the king? Why is this the message of Jesus? We've said, remember, it is 
the most valuable, most supremely valuable truth, reality that you could ever experience in your life. Jesus says, and I've already mentioned this today, it is like a treasure. It is so valuable that when you find it, you sell everything that you have. You cash out everything that you've spent your entire life accumulating. You, everything that you've worked for becomes worthless and you sell that out. You cash it out and you buy into this thing that you've just discovered that's just intersected your life, the kingdom of God. So we talked about last week messaging. And Jesus' message was the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. And his message was that it had arrived. It had arrived with his arrival. It had broken into time and space. Now, the reason why we don't hear a lot about, he never, there's a lot of confusion around the kingdom. And so before, we're going to start defining it, okay? Because really, I haven't defined anything. I just said it's really important, and it's the message of Jesus. And so now we're going to start getting into what is this? What is this thing? So before we do that, if you have a pen, or if you've got your phone, or if you just want to put it in your brain, but I really want you to do this, if I said, define the kingdom, what is the kingdom of God, what would you say? And I'm not asking for a verbal response. I'm just saying, like, maybe jot it down, write it down, and we're going to see if, no doubt, all of our perspectives of the kingdom will be adjusted and nuanced as we go through this series, I hope, because it's going to be expanded. But what is the kingdom of God? I'll give you a couple minutes, a couple seconds to do that. All right, finish that up. So last week we talked about the message and how important messaging is and companies and corporations want to capitalize on clear, concise, and consistent messaging, right? So if I say, um, if I say, have it your way, you know that's the slogan of? So what's that? Burger King? Burger King, Burger King, good. Burger King's not doing too well, so it's probably not a good slogan. Um, If I said hungry, what is that? You got that last time. Snickers, yeah. Is a magical kingdom the magical kingdom? Disney. Disney. Remember I said you draw three circles and it's Mickey Mouse and that's a symbol that you recognize. And so we didn't go into politics, but there's every um, presidential candidate or everyone running for a local office, state office, federal office has a campaign slogan, is their message, and they are trying to make America great again. Eight years ago, Obama said, yes, we can. And so um, there's these messages that are supposed to sum up the entirety of kind of the ethos, the values of this candidate and what they want to see permeate their society, the political system, the government, what they want to see, the change in the world they want to see. So here's some... um, some Fran- Francis had an election, and they have a lot more candidates. So here's some, I'm not going to try to pronounce these names, but here's one slogan, Strong France. You know, we want a strong France. The change is now. <clears throat> it's not tomorrow, it's not yesterday. It's now. Yes, France. We want to be pro-France and probably anti, uh, who knows what that means. Um, she was the more conservative candidate, right? So it probably means 
like anti-immigrant, anti-anything else, just pro-France. Take the power. Nothing can resist a united country. We've got to be united, strong, together. Ecology, the real change. Right, so here's some, here's some campaign slogans that embody the values of these candidates. And so Jesus comes proclaiming with a campaign slogan, if you will. He comes with a message that encapsulates what he's all about, what his values are, what his vision is. And it is the kingdom of God is come. And this is good news. And the reason why there's lots of confusion around it, the kingdom, and there's lots of different definitions around it, is because Jesus actually never defines it specifically. He says it's like, it's like, it's like, but he never defines it specifically. Uh, Neither does really Paul. Neither do any of the apostles. You don't see a lot of definitions saying this is what it is. Now, this is because, pretty simply, because everyone understood what it was. It was an assumption of the culture. Like Israel grew up reading the Hebrew Scriptures, understanding that there was a kingdom of God and that they were awaiting the full realization of the kingdom. And so they knew it. So it would be like saying, you know, a can, a Donald Trump running for president and trying to take the time to explain what America is. Like it's understood, Right? It's, 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 a, it's part of your culture. It's, a, it's the water and air you breathe and swim in. Also, not only for the Jewish people understand the kingdom of God from a Jewish perspective, but Romans understood kingdom. They understood empire. They understand Caesar. They understand that, in fact, Caesar, and came, he announced gospel. He announced the Evangelion, the gospel of Rome. He was called the savior of the world. He was called the light of the nations. And so... It's, it's a very politically charged um, environment that Jesus steps into and they understand this concept of kingdom and they understand what Jesus is pronouncing and announcing when he says the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is here. And so that's why you don't see it spell it out because it's what they were. So I'm going to give you um, a little working definition that needs a lot of unpacking, that needs a lot of nuance. But if we can kind of you know, bring it down to still what the kingdom is. It is God's reign reflected through God's people realized on God's earth. If we can get those core principles down, we are on our way to understanding what the kingdom of God is that is more valuable than any other thing that you could invest your life in. It is God's reign reflected through God's people realized on God's earth. So, the nation of Israel understand the kingdom of God. And what they understand about the kingdom of God is most fundamentally is they understand the world has a king. It has a rightful king, an almighty king. And that is God, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth. See, the idea of kingdom, and this is where we're going to camp out today, um, the idea of kingdom is rooted in a king. You can't have a kingdom without a king. And so God, Yahweh, is understood as the king of the universe and his kingship is rooted in the fact that he is creator of the world. I, was gonna, I meant to bring some Play-Doh, but imagine I'm working some Play-Doh and I'm making a Play-Doh guy. All right? If I make the Play-Doh, if I own the Play-Doh, if I'm sovereign over the Play-Doh and I form it into an image that is similar to mine or, or, or whatever, I make something, then I have 
exclusive rights to that Play-Doh. It's mine. I'm the creator. I molded it. I shaped it. And if I was really like closer to being God, I'd breathe life into it and I'd walk around and be like, that's my little Play-Doh man. All right? And so I have ownership of that. I am creator and king. And so the idea of kingship, God's kingship, is rooted in his, the fact that he is creator. And so that's why we read Genesis 1, 26. So if you go to your sheet or you go to your Bible, Genesis 1, 26, kingdom theology begins in the beginning. It, it's, it's crucial to understand this theology of the kingdom by understanding the very beginning. The nature of the kingdom begins at creation. Look at this. God is the creator. And he says, let us make humanity in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. So already we're getting into here. God's reign is reflected through God's people. This God is the king of the universe by nature of the fact that he is creator of the universe. And then right away he is able to hand over rulership, kingship, dominion, rule, responsibility to his very creation, to the people he made. So you see that we already play a role in the kingdom. That's very important to the meaning of life, to the purpose, to why we're here. So, God says, let us make humanity in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he goes on. So you see this word dominion over and over again. It's this commission to a people, this divine king handing over um, kingship, in a sense, not, not rel- giving authority and dominion to his created people. And so he, right from the beginning, he's choosing a people to reflect his reign in the earth. So right away you see that there's this kingdom and there is this transference of, of responsibility and dominion to his creation, to humanity. And the context of this kingdom is to take place on the earth. So humanity is created from the earth. If you notice, humanity, man and woman, man is created from the dust, right? He's created from the dirt. He's not created ex nihilo like everything else. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And then humanity comes and he's forming it out of the dirt. So humans come from the ground, from the earth. They're made for the earth. Their reign and their role is to be, the context of their life is to be lived out on the earth. So there's this concept that we're like souls trapped in bodies that are waiting to escape to heaven, to some unearthly place. That's, never, that's not the design. God's designed us for the earth. And his rule and his dominion is the context of which is the earth. And he's given us, that's where his reign is. So God's reign, reflected through God's people, realized on God's earth. You start to see it right from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. All right, so the Hebrew understanding, the Israelite understanding, when Jesus comes, John the Baptist comes and says, Behold, 
The kingdom of God is at hand. They're like, whoa, really? Seriously? That's awesome. That's good news. This is super good news because this is what we've been waiting for for generations, for the true king to arrive and to make the world right, to set the worlds to rights, to bring about flourishing. And so we see this concept of kingship all throughout. We've got Psalm 1016. Just give you a quick overview. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land meaning that he is sovereign, he, he is all-powerful, he tells them where to go and when to go. Um, Isaiah 37, 16, O Lord of hosts, this is the hosts, this is the arm, armies, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made them, I think it says, <laughs> I got cut off. Uh, Psalm 95, 3-6, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. The sea is His, for He has made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship Him. Psalm 96, Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity, with justice, with truth, with righteousness. So, This idea of kingship is rooted deeply in the consciousness of the Israelite people. It would have been rooted deeply in the minds of the Romans as well. Different connotations, but this idea of kingdom and this announcement of of, of the kingdom of God coming was good news to the people of Israel. We're going to see why that is. Now, last time, I'm going to re-show the video that I showed last week because I like the video a lot. I also think it's pretty important, and um, I'm pretty confident, except for the geniuses in the room, you're not going to remember um, uh, all of it. And I think it's a beautiful picture of what the anticip- this good news of the kingdom really is. It's this announcement of the kingdom, the return of the king back. And so I want to real quickly, Isaiah 52, they're going to reference in the video, and this goes to the expectation in the consciousness of Israel about this coming king, this return of the king, the king, God, rescuing and reuniting his people with the king, reestablishing them as having, uh, the, to, as having reign and rule over the world. So it says in verse 7, I think I have this here, how beautiful, oh, yes, O Lord of, what? Am I going backwards? There you go. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Well, this is the historical context here is that the people of Israel have been taken into exile by the, by the Babylonians. It's this horrific thing, time in the nation's life. They're just obliterated. And all the survivors and the best of of Israel is taken into captivity, into Babylon, where they are captives. They're in exile. And this lasts for hundreds of years. And there's this announcement, this guy who brings good news. And back in the day, they would just run. It's where Nike comes from, right? They run with a message. Nike means victory in um, Greek, I believe. And they just run for 26.2 miles, that one did. And he runs, and he runs with a message, and he says, good news, good news. And blessed is this message, blessed are the feet of the one that brings good news. In this context is the return of the king. And so let's watch this video with that historical context in mind. I'll unpack it a little bit.
there's this beautiful poem. It's a, the city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills we see a messenger. and He's running towards the city. He's running, he's shouting, good news! And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, powerful, successful kingdom that needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer. And he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decided to have him conquered. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human how all of humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. And so how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. 
This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto the throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king. That he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. I just love the two images of the feet that are beautiful, the bloody feet that bring this good news, uh, and Jesus' crucified feet. Beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And that's, again, God's reign. The kingdom is God's reign reflected through God's people. And you start to see that in the video on God's earth. The kingdom is the announcement of a Good, good king. Why is it good news? It's good news because it's a really good king. If you announce the coming of a kingdom, that can be a terrifying thought. It can be really bad news or really good news. And it's based on the king that rules that kingdom. The character of a kingdom is based on the character of its king. The king determines the nature of a kingdom. And the king that we serve, that we worship, that was announced his coming, his arrival, and how it was depicted was King Jesus. We see that Jesus becomes king. He is the almighty ruler of the world and of the nations. And he doesn't rule. He doesn't come to power like other kings have. He doesn't come through dominance He doesn't come to be served, but He comes to serve. He comes to give His life as a ransom for many. He comes to be tortured, not to torture. He becomes a victim and not a victimizer. He turns this this power, this this idea of power and kingship upside down. And those who live under His reign will live and embody the same kind of love and rule, the same kingdom ethic. They will announce a kingdom that is of the character and nature of its, their king, King Jesus. So just to finish real quick, Psalm 72, this, there, there could be like just millions of, of sermons and there's millions of pages being writ, written about the kingdom of God. But Psalm 72 is just huge. So I want to hit that. You can write it down or read it uh, with me. But... Here in Psalm 72 is again this another this the nation of Israel is cons- constantly longing for for a, the ki- a king to rule in the way of G- of of God to rule as God intends his his world to be ruled. And so here's Psalm 72. This is a prayer for an earthly king, but it's a longing for the true king. And it's an anticipation of the king that would come, Jesus. So just listen to this. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor 
with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. So he's praying for for prosperity for people. He's praying for enough. He's praying that the that there would be fruitfulness and people would have enough to eat. May he defend, verse 4, the cause of the poor of the people. May he give deliverance to the children of the needy. You know, one of the most heartbreaking things is I live in the neighborhood. You sometimes see kids, you know, they're being pushed in shopping carts or, or they're... Or, or, or the, I've seen actually in the parking lot just two doors up here, two streets up, like kids coming out of tents. You know, they've camped out at night and that breaks my heart the most is to see like the kids who are, and you don't know what homes they're coming out of or what homes they're coming into. And he says this king, the longing for this king is that he will give deliverance to the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace may it abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render his tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts just that he would rule and reign and be acknowledged to be the almighty king. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls. He delivers the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Precious is the blood of, of people who are suffering to God, to the king. And then he talks about the mountains. May their abundance of grain, verse 16, May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains, may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. May the people blossom in the cities. New creation. Like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So here is this beautiful psalm, this beautiful longing for this true, righteous king who would come and rule and rescue the needy and deliver the oppressed and bring about abundance and prosperity. And you see, as you flip to Luke which we looked at last week, but it's all throughout the New Testament. Jesus comes and he announces the way that he's going to rule. He announces his, his kingdom agenda. He announces the kingdom, um, the, how he will reign, the manner of his reign. And he, again, it's a prophecy from Isaiah. He's, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the true king that all the earth has longed for has now arrived in Jesus. That's good news. The king has come. And it's good news And here's the deal. All of us 
desperately need to be a part of this kingdom. We need to be a part of this kingdom. And don't you want to be a part of this kingdom? Don't you want everyone to be a part of this in the realm of of God and under his rule? If you've been to Disneyland, this sounds, that's a a striking uh, switch in gears. Have you been to Disneyland? When you're little especially, like you're battling LA traffic or Orlando traffic. I was battling LA traffic. You get there, you're, you know, you're, it's hot. Parking, you get, there's no parking. You've got to take a shuttle all the way to the door. You pay a bunch of money. But then you get into the gates and there's music and everything's clean and princesses are waving at you with smiling faces and everything is happy. It's the happiest place on earth. Like you enter the realm, you enter the gates of Disneyland and they have this whole ethos and they've created this whole world, this whole kingdom, this magical kingdom. And there's the castle and you see all the characters and you just feel light. Like all the junk, and this isn't if you're a parent, this is if you're a kid. All the junk that you've dealt with coming into that moment, you enter the gates and you're in the realm of Disney. You're in the reign of Disney and Mickey Mouse is in charge and everything is okay. Everything is happy. Everything is harmony. Now, that's Disneyland. That's fake. That's not real. The example is, don't we want to enter the gates, the reign, underneath the reign of God, where every tear we wiped away, right? Where death will be no more. Can you imagine entering the realm of the kingdom under his rule? And this king desires that none that none suffer, that no one perish. He desires that um, all relationships be healed. That his kingdom is a kingdom of reconciliation and peace. That you have come into this kingdom with broken relationships and broken promises and broken um, lives, a, a broken life, and you enter in and that dissolves and it's restored. Right? That you enter in, can you imagine entering into a kingdom and as you enter in, the blind, they enter blind and they come on the other side able to see. They come in wheelchairs and as they enter in, they get up and start walking. They roll in and walk the rest of the way. That this is a place, a kingdom where wounds are healed, where the blind see, where every disease is healed, where every mental uh, illness is taken away, where everything is restored, all things are made new, where the hearts of fathers are turned back to their children. So that's the announcement. That's the kind of kingdom that our king promises to bring. And he is bringing, and that's what we're going to learn, that, that he is bringing this kingdom. And it's not just a mere future hope. It begins to be an experienced reality even now as it's reflected through his people. So it's not a purely future hope, but it can be experienced even in the present as a people who come underneath the loving reign of God begin to live out under the kingdom rule of God on this earth. So we can stop there and pray. Father, King Jesus, you are king. 
And you're a good king, and that's why it's good news that your kingdom has come. And we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that as we await the final culmination of your kingdom, the final and full realization of your kingdom here on earth, that, that, that all of us would have our daily bread and that you would forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that you would lead us not into temptation, not to follow other kings, but to come and remain under your loving and kind and generous rule and provision. That you would lead us away from temptation. And that you would deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the one who would accuse us and deprive us and lead us astray. We thank you that you are the true and living king and that your kingdom is worth more than anything we could ever imagine. Lord, may we pursue it. May we begin to understand it. May we live under it, knowing you are king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right. Let's, uh, we're going to eat together. And... Um, Pass the peace. And so much of eating together is a a foretaste of the kingdom. And it's an attempt to begin to realize the kingdom on earth, really, in many ways that as we break bread together, we acknowledge God's presence together, we share our life with one another, and that in this place there will be no need among us, okay? So there's enough food for us all. And we begin to see just a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Quickly, I... I'm not going to be here, though. (laughs) Um, Juliet, my little girl, has...